Let me start out with a question to you all this morning. What hinders you from following after Jesus? Maybe you don't know Jesus here today at all, and you're just kind of here, a friend invited you or something, you don't really know Christ at all, and what would actually hinder you from following after Jesus initially? But those of you who do know Christ, and you've been saved for quite a while, what are those things that are in your life that kind of hold you back from really fully, passionately pursuing after Jesus? What are those things that that creep into your life and cause you to hold back from pursuing Christ further and more deeply? A lot of times there are even good things in our life that hold us back, different hobbies and passions that God has given to us. But we all really have those certain things that we love and we enjoy, those things that can even detract from our pursuit of Christ. I can think of things even in my own life that have often come and and they distract me from my discipleship. Good things, maybe relaxing things. Things like golf is really fun. But you know what? A lot of golf can detract from Christ. And I was kind of finding myself specifically uh, toward the end of the spring. We're all getting cabin fever, right? We just really want to get outside. The early summer comes, that beautiful weather, and it's so nice to just get out and golf and golf and golf. And pretty soon, you're more known to be at the golf course than you are with your family. You're more known to be at the golf course than with your church. But what are those things that maybe get in your life, those things that, that pull you back, they detract from your own pursuit of Christ that... Those kinds of things that maybe get you out of balance with your relationship with Jesus. What hinders you from coming to him? And this morning, we're going to see a couple situations of hindrances of coming to Jesus. The first hindrance that we'll see is is actually other disciples. That there are disciples who are, are hindering people, children specifically, from coming to Jesus. And then the second hindrance is riches, the possessions of life that hold us back from fully and passionately pursuing Christ. But look with me again at verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let them come to me and do not hinder the children for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. You remember just a chapter ago back in Matthew 18 where Jesus is having this interaction with the, 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 the people of that time and he's talking to them about those who would enter into the kingdom. He brings a a child before his disciples, right? And he says, this is the kind of person who would enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they are childlike in their humility. They're childlike in in their faith. So if, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to become like a child. And so here this morning, we see another instance where children are being worked into the life and the ministry of Jesus. And verse 13 says that these people were bringing their children to Christ. And this was a pretty common thing. A lot of times people would bring their children to, to rabbis or respected teachers so that they would pray for them, so that they would lay their hands on them, pray, bless them in some sort of way. But as these children are being brought to Jesus, you see that the disciples, they begin to, to shoo the parents away. They start pushing them away. The text says that they actually rebuke the parents for bringing their children to him. I find that incredible. 
These disciples, they've spent some good time with Jesus. They're coming up on a couple years of, of being with Jesus, spending a ton of time with Him, every single day with Him, and, and they don't realize that Jesus would, of course, want these children to come to them, especially in light of what we saw in verse 18, where He says uh, to, that they need to humble themselves and become like children. But I love what Jesus says to them. So these disciples, they're, they're rebuking these parents, get, get away from Christ, and Jesus says, no, let them come to me and do not hinder them. So these disciples, they thought that the children would be a hindrance to Jesus, but in reality, it was the disciples who were bring, being a hindrance to the kids. And I want to I sit on this, I want to focus in on this a little bit in regard to this first hindrance of coming to Jesus. The first hindrance here is the disciples. What were they doing? Had they learned nothing? Jesus clearly says that if you want to become part of the kingdom of God, that you need to become like a child. So if they are to become like children, in order to enter the kingdom of God, shouldn't they realize that that these kids are a high priority to Christ? These were actual children, actual parents, just just wanting to come to Jesus, to have Him pray for the kids, and they, they rebuke them. I kind of imagine this kind of secret service situation, right? Jesus is in the middle and the disciples are the secret service and they're standing all around Jesus pushing all of these kids away. But as we look for some application here, I have to wonder if there are times where we ourselves as disciples of Jesus are hindering children or would-be disciples from following after Jesus. Where we're hindering our children and the children maybe of one another from following Christ, following Christ more effectively. As I mentioned before, there are many things that can, that can hinder us from following Jesus. We kind of all have our own little set of things that can hold us back, but there are also many things that could hinder our own children from coming to Christ. I think even for a church of our size, there's a lot of children. The children alone are probably about half of the weekly attendance. I did a rough count, and the, the children that would um, belong to most of us here, there's, there's about 30 to 35 kids. And that's, that's incredibly exciting. That's really exciting that there are so many kids. They don't realize it, but they add an incredible dynamic to our church. I heard one radio preacher, heard of a radio preacher one time who said, if you don't hear crying, the church is dying. And I think that there's probably a lot of truth to that. The children of our church, they're, they're the next generation of business owners in our town and, and homeowners. And they'll be on the boards of the town. And they'll even, hopefully, God willing, be the leaders of our church. Teaching Sunday school, leading this community of people. God willing, that we'll be able to raise up a generation of kids who, who have a heart for Christ and want to pursue Him. And go out and plant churches and, and be part of making churches more and more healthy in our area. God willing, that will be the case. How thrilling that would be to, to, to really view this next generation, this next... 30 or 40 kids, whatever we have, to, to, to invest in them and to love on them and to raise them up to enter into the army for the Lord. And I love to dream about that. But I'm burdened for these kids. They're growing up in an unprecedented time, incredible temptation, tons of indoctrination of various theories and ideas and ways of life from the world that are totally contrary to God's word. So we know that the world is going to do their best to hinder our kids from following after Jesus. But are we, 
as disciples? Are we hindering our kids from following after Christ? Are there any ways that, that we are actually hindering them? We may have really good intentions, but we're actually holding them back in a lot of ways. And even as a church, we certainly try to provide uh, good resources, right? Good, good materials for you as parents, good things to help you raise your children. Even in junior church and Sunday school, we try to have good teaching material that really goes after God's word to invest in our children with God's word. But we could have the best teaching material. We could have the best teachers. We could have the best kids program. All of that. But if they aren't seeing at home what a real, passionate pursuit of Christ is, it's not going to matter what we do for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. We need to realize that what we say and what we do, or what we don't say and what we don't do, as disciples, totally being picked up on by our kids. So if you have a a casual approach to your discipleship as a follower of Jesus, and your own pursuit of Christ is lacking, your kids are totally going to pick up on that. If you don't take personal devotional time serious throughout the week and your prayer time serious, your kids aren't going to either. This is mostly on you dads and husbands. That if you're not leading your family in, in family worship and reading the word and singing and praying, and it's not you on Sunday morning who's leading that charge to get to church to worship your God together, if that isn't, isn't you, don't expect your sons to do it with their families. If you're not carefully thinking through the the issues of our day and all those things are going to be pummeling your kids as they go through uh, being children and being teenagers, if you're not thinking through all of that from a biblical perspective and teaching them how to think, they're not going to pick it up on their own. If you don't guard what you watch on TV, look at on the internet, don't expect your kids to. If you don't guard your mouth and your gossip and your slander and your foul language, don't expect your kids to. You don't take, take church seriously, different gatherings, whether the morning worship, midweek, different studies. If you don't take any of that seriously, the kids are not going to take it seriously either. You see, in all of these kinds of ways, although we're not intending to, we can actually hinder our kids in their own pursuit of Christ. So simply stated, if your discipleship and your pursuit of Christ isn't crystal clear to your children, then they're going to be foggy in their own pursuit of Christ. So the time to get serious about our kids and their faith is now. To do our best to to not hinder them, to, to be constantly leading them to Jesus. The statistics say that that most, not some, but most of our kids are going to walk away. The stats say about three out of four of them are going to walk away by their early 20s. So now's the time to get the grip. To be living our faith loudly in front of them. Being examples. Discipling them. Teaching them what it means to be a real follower of Jesus. Teaching them the truths of the word. And so the question is, are you doing that? Are you leading them in that kind of way? Or are you actually hindering them? As a church even, are we leading our children to Christ? Are we hindering them from Christ? Jesus says to to suffer not the children, but to let them come. So the disciples, they hindered the children on this day. And Jesus graciously and lovingly opens the door and says, No, let them come to me. But are there ways that we're holding our kids back? But second, what about you? What are those things in your own life that are hindering you from being a follower of Jesus? 
In verses 16 and following, we learn about this individual who comes to Jesus. In our text and the other text, the other uh, uh, gospel text, the synoptic gospels, they give us a few clues as to the kind of person that the individual is that comes to Jesus on this day. Our text says in Matthew in verse 16 that this person was a man. Verse 20, he's referred to as young. And verse 20 also indicates that he's morally upright. He was clean according to the law. He was obeying all of these rules. And verse 22 tells us that he was wealthy with many possessions. We know from the book of Mark that that this rich young ruler, after the situation with the children, he actually runs up to Jesus and he is reverent and he is respectful to him. He gets on his knees before Jesus. And then the gospel of Luke tells us that this man was a ruler, that he was some sort of probably religious Ruler, And so when you add all of this up, what we have here is who we often refer to as the rich young ruler. And this man comes running up to Jesus and he asks him a very specific question. Look at verse 16. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So catch this. Get a grasp of this guy with me. He's, he's young. He's powerful. He's wealthy. He's spiritual and moral even. But in spite of all of this, he knew that he was missing something. So he's kind of that guy that that everybody would love to be. Rich and powerful and and all of that. Maybe he has good looks. He has all of those things that everybody would ever want. Yet there's this huge hole within his life. And so when he comes up to Jesus, that's really what pours out of him. As soon as he comes to Jesus, that hole that's in the center of his heart is totally evident in that question. What deed must I do to inherit eternal life? The problem is this young man did not have the rebirth. He, did not have, he had not been born again. He had not been regenerated by God's spirit in spite of all of the accolades and accomplishments and successes that this man had. He had actually nothing. He was looking for it. He wanted it. But as we're going to see, this man was incredibly hindered. He was, he was held back. But did you notice what this young man assumed in his question? He assumes that he can do something to inherit eternal life. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to an- inherit eternal life? And look at how Jesus responds in verse 17. And he said to them, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life... Keep the commandments. Now, if you're, if you're tracking with me, you're, you're thinking the same thing. Is Jesus presenting some sort of works-based salvation? Where Jesus responds, and, where the, the man says, what, what deed must I do? And Jesus says, follow these commandments. He seems to be saying that in order to enter into eternal life, you need to obey. You need to obey law. Would that not mean then that Jesus is saying that you can get salvation Through your works. But look how the conversation continues in verse 18. The young man said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? So you see what Jesus does. The man asks what he must do, and then Jesus rattles off to this, 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 and this. And then he gives the main summary of the commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. So essentially, what he's saying is, you want to attain everlasting life? Then obey all of these laws perfectly, and then you can have eternal life. In other words, 
do what I'm doing, right? From Jesus' perspective. Do what I'm doing. I'm obeying all of these things perfectly. I have never broken any of these laws. And if this man wants to do something in order to enter into the kingdom of God, then what he must do is be perfect, even as Christ himself is perfect. So, okay, young rich ruler, if you want to enter into heaven, do all of this perfectly as I am now doing them perfectly. But the problem is, this man thinks a little too much of himself and that he thinks that he has obeyed all of these things perfectly. He's a, a religious ruler. He knows the law. He thinks he has it all down. But his understanding of the law is superficial if he thinks he has it all down. And he's so genuine in his belief that he has obeyed these laws that he says to Jesus, Jesus, I have obeyed all of these laws. What do I still lack? And how sad it is that there are so many who could say the same kind of thing. That they've worked themselves to the bones trying to be good people and to do the right thing. Hoping, hoping that, in that when they die, that somehow when you have that scale that their good is going to outweigh their bad. And that on the basis of that scale tipping toward the good, God's going to say, oh absolutely, enter into heaven. All the while, the hole in their heart remains not knowing the truth. And here this man is. He has obeyed. He has tried to do what is right. Yet here he stands without the assurance of eternal life. And Jesus goes right after what this man loves most. After he says, I have done all this. What do I lack? Jesus then comes in and he attacks exactly what is actually in the heart of this man. Look at verse 21. If you would be perfect, in other words, if you would live with pure, undivided devotion, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. We've seen these last couple words a couple times. Jesus' command to, to follow after him. After he gives this man the same command, he gives him the opportunity to follow after him. If he would only sell his possessions and if he would give them to the poor, he would, he would gain treasure in heaven and then he could follow after Jesus. And all of that sounds really wonderfully simple. So the man says, well, what do I lack? Jesus says, go sell it all and follow after me. It's so easy, even to use the language of Hebrews, to, to, all he would have to do is to lay aside the weight that was besetting him and he would follow after Jesus. That, that's not hard, right? Just take your stuff and, and sell it. And Jesus gives it right to him. Tells him to follow after me. But in order to do that, get rid of the baggage. Get rid of the weight. You don't need those possessions if you're following after a guy who has no place to even lay his own head. So it's very simple. You want eternal life? Give me sole possession of your heart and follow after me. And look how the man responds in verse 20. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Although this man was physically rich, he was spiritually destitute. He was so in tune to ask this kind of question. What must I do to enter eternal life? He wanted to know the answer of how to get into heaven. But when he realized that following after Christ meant to, to go through the narrow gate and to dump all of the baggage, he wanted nothing to do with it. This man was quite literally hindered from the eternal kingdom of God because of his earthly, soon-to-rot 
possessions. His hope was to get an answer from Jesus about having eternal life concerning a good deed he must do. But when he heard that he had to give it all up in order to follow Jesus, he wouldn't do it. His possessions were far more valuable to him than Jesus. So you see that this man, he had his possessions, but in reality, his possessions had him. Charles Spurgeon said this, Worldly possessions, apart from divine grace, have a deadening, hardening Hampering influence upon the soul. This man wanted to know what he could do to have eternal life. But when confronted with the realities. Confronted with the cost of what it would be to follow after Jesus. His heart was hardened. And he went away sorrowfully back to his possessions. Can you imagine having a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. Jesus giving you an instruction. And you turn your back and you walk the other way. I think most of us would like to think if I were standing with Jesus and he told me something to do, I would immediately do it. But here this rich man is, turns his back on Jesus, refusing to do it, forfeiting eternal life. But friends, it's only the grace of God that has enabled you to believe in the first place. And it continues to enable you to believe. And it will continue to enable you to believe until you die. It is only God's grace that has kept you from making the unwise choice of turning away from Christ and following after the pleasures of this world. That is the only thing that has held any of us back from certain destruction and the only thing that holds us back from eternal destruction. And that is God's grace alone. But this man was so restrained by his possessions that he went away sorrowful. But look at what Jesus then says to his disciples in verse 23. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? So this is an across-the-board fact that he gives in verse 23, that it is difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because rich people, they depend on their possessions. They find security in their possessions. They find their satisfaction in their possessions. A lot of times they even find their friends in their possessions. And childlike humility that you must have in order to enter into the kingdom of God is difficult to have when you have pride in your possessions. Jesus gives this famous illustration that it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. I don't know if you've ever seen a camel, but it's impossible. Get a needle, there's your camel. It's not going to happen, right? It's so silly to even think about. You can't even put a mouse through the eye of a needle. There's a, a song on the radio, a country song, and you'll be able to tell that by the first line that I'm going to read. But it actually quotes Jesus' illustration here um, about the camel and the needle from Matthew 19. It's almost like they had their Bibles open as they were writing the song. This is how it goes. They call me redneck, white trash, and blue collar. But I could change all that if I had a couple million dollars. I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool. Innocent song or telling statement? It's probably true what the Bible says about how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. How it's like a a camel going through the eye of a needle. But a couple million dollars still sounds pretty cool regardless of eternity. 
And my sense is that we all kind of feel this way about it. Like, yeah, let's acknowledge what the Jesus says here. Let's acknowledge the truth that's here. But you know what? It would still be really cool to have a couple mil laying around. We have that sense. There, I'm not saying there aren't legitimate money needs. I'm sure a couple million dollars would help some of us get out of some debts and some things. That would be really nice. But talking about the typical American who has plenty in terms of possessions and wants more and more and more and finds absolutely no satisfaction in what he or she has, always looking for something else to buy or to gain or to have from the world. But what we need to fundamentally realize is that possessions were never ever meant to satisfy us. Only God alone was meant to satisfy us. Jesus said to him in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus alone is the one who is meant to satisfy. Or even in the Psalms, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Or Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Or Psalm 73, that my flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This man walks away from Jesus because his possessions were his portion, not Jesus. And disciples are astonished in this moment at what Jesus says about this man. And they say, if this rich guy, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? Because in their mindset, they're thinking, this man has been specifically blessed by God. He's been given tons of possessions. He's been given tons of money. And so they're thinking, well, then who can be saved? Because obviously this guy has been so blessed by God. That's why they're rich. But I love verse 26. He looks at them. Another translation I saw said that he fastened his eyes on them. And look at what he said. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we need to get this verse off of our coffee mugs and get it into the context of this passage. It's talking, not with God, all things are possible. That means I can jump 100 feet in the air. No, wrong. Get it into the context of this passage. It's far greater than that. Far greater. If God, with man, the salvation of a rich man is totally impossible, but with God, it is possible. A man who is so distracted by his possessions and has so much baggage in regard to all the things that he owns and all the things that he's seeking to attain after. God can even save that kind of a man. God can save even the richest person. Friends, ask the Spirit to to analyze your own heart this morning. Are Are you being a hindrance to other people following after Christ? And then are you, on the other side, are there things that are hindering you from following after Christ? Peter eventually says, after all of this happens, he says that we have left everything to follow after you. And Jesus responds and says, talking about the age to come, he says that you disciples, you're going to be sitting on 12 thrones yourself and you're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But then he also says for the others who would follow after Jesus that they would receive a hundredfold and they would inherit the kingdom of God if they left everything, if everything was nothingness to them for the sake of the name of Jesus. Can you say that along with Peter? 
We have left everything to follow after you, Jesus. Can you say that you hold all of your possessions loosely and that you rather pursue Jesus than possessions? Is Jesus your treasure or are your treasures your treasure? What you're treasuring right now in this moment, what is significant to you right now, is that going to lead to your eternal life or is it going to lead to your eternal death? Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what should be our sustaining, satisfying, joy-producing treasure. That, That Jesus, that God himself would step out into time and he would live perfectly on our behalf for those who could not live perfectly. That he went to the cross and he died for us. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness whereby reconciling us to God So once standing in the position of being God's enemy, and now it's all been turned around to now we are considered to be the friend of God based on the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. He was buried in a grave, and he resurrected victoriously over sin and death, and then he brought us alongside with him as though it was we ourselves who stepped out of the grave as victors over sin and death giving us the opportunity to never really die, but to have eternal life with Him forever. Friends, is this what you have? If Jesus is your treasure, it is. So so put all hindrances aside and then joyfully grab others and lead them with you together, unhindered, as you follow Christ. Father, we are thankful for Your Word and we are thankful for this time together to look at it. And we pray as we did earlier that you will induce faith in us as a result of seeing your word this morning. That our faith will be bolstered to to follow after you, to to follow after you unhindered and to, to bring others with us joyfully to you. We're thankful for the promise within this passage. A couple promises. That with you all things are possible in terms of the salvation of men. And we know that it is. You are the only one who can break down those barriers. And break through those chains. We're thankful that you alone can do that. And we trust in you to do that. But we're also thankful that you have given us. For those who have trusted in you and followed after you. We're thankful that you have given us eternal life. We look forward to that coming stage. Of your kingdom. Reigning and ruling in your perfection with you. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus name. Amen.